I want to welcome tonight two great men of God, one right here close to us, which I think is absolutely incredible. Not long ago we had Pastor Joel Tudman with us, Bishop, and now to have Bishop Tony Miller that's just on the other side of Oklahoma City to be with me. Bishop, I can't tell you how honored I am that you would take time to join us tonight. Well, thank you so much, Rick, for, uh, Pastor Rick, for your invitation. And to be able to be with you and Dr. Hiles is just a great joy for me. <laughs> and thank you for all that you and Quest Church are doing in our city, because it's amazing the impact that you guys are making. And I'm honored to, to labor with you to see our city one to Christ. Thank you, sir. And Dr. Lynn Hiles, we love you and appreciate you. You just released a new book. What is the name of the book? It is titled The Great I Am, and Bishop Tony Miller actually wrote the foreword to it. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, Dr. Hiles is a, it's amazing, and I'm sure Bishop would agree with me, how his mind operates concerning the kingdom of God. And uh, so we're going to get into some of that. Let me just do a real quick preface, if you guys don't mind. Uh, every Monday night, we come out of Isaiah chapter 21, and verse number 11, it's a scripture both of you are familiar with. It has to do with this, the New American Standard says, the oracle concerning Duma, and there's a cry. The oracle, the word oracle there, as you both know, means a, an authoritative answer, but it means a wise answer. And don't you both agree that's where we are today? We, we need direction, we need instruction, and we need some answers. And they cry specifically for an uh, toward an office, and the office is that of the watchman. And the cry is, watchman, what of the night? And in the Hebrew, we know that that word night there means a season of adversity, a decay, or a spiraling down. And I think we're in that season right now, and I, I think both of you would agree with me that we started out preaching about vision in 2020, <laughs> and we ran right up into the virus, and now into violence. And uh, the two characteristics of the days of Noah, Jesus said this would be the sign for you, is uh, that the earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence. And that's what it looks like right now. So I've asked watchmen, and you two guys, if there's watchmen in the body of Christ, you guys are generals. And so, you know, we want to know, watchmen, what, what of the night? What about the duration of this night? How long is this thing going to last? And what about the details of this night season? You know, what, what is God speaking to us? You know, there's the arguments about the mask. I was reading from Barna Research that the church is kind of in thirds right now. You've got a third of the people that are staying with their pre-COVID church. Then a third of the people have left their church during this season and are either watching other churches online or attending other churches. And this shocked me. One third of the people that were attending church before COVID-19 has left the church. They're not watching or attending. And that's, that's very disturbing. And then giving in the church is down 50% in seven months. So guys, the church is taking a hit. And... The Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 and 33 that the tribe of Issachar understood the times. Now, that's one thing. Preachers usually stop right there, but the next part of the verse says, and they knew 
what to do. So as we approach our dialogue tonight, I'll start with you, Bishop Miller. We want this to be a practical dialogue, but we also want it to be prophetic. So what, what, what do you say? What do you see? And then what do you say about where we are and then what's next? That's, uh, thank you, Bishop Hawkins. Um, I really believe that we are in uh, the tension of what are incredible days and what are very difficult days. Yeah. As you were, as you were sharing, and particularly the passage about watchmen, what of the night, I think we have sometimes as watchmen not understood the significance of night seasons. Okay. And this means every new day begins in darkness. Mm. In the book of Genesis, when God gave us the creed of order, he said the evening and the morning yeah. were the first day. In our calendar, every new day begins one minute after midnight. Mm-hmm. So the issue is not, has a new day begun? The issue is when will you be aware of it? Wow. Some people's alarm clock goes off at 4 a.m., some goes off at 7 a.m., and some don't wake up till noon. So the fact of the matter is, is that people become awakened to what it is that God's doing at different segments of time. Mm-hmm. And I believe that what we're doing is we're finding those who are the early adopters who have keen ears to hear and recognize that there is a major shift that's taking place. I'm, I'm not a part of those who believe that the shift is completely away from gathered assemblies of people. I think that's, that's a mistake for us to do yeah, that. Right. I think there's something very important about people being together. In fact, I think all of us would agree, and I I know Lynn very well has got an incredible voice, not only through media, but in local churches as well. Mm -hmm. But I think all of us would agree that we are on the verge of living in a world that is inundated with information and has very little dialogue. Hmm. And so that's the missing element, I think, in the body of Christ presently, is for us to create avenues for people to develop relationships where there can be, and I say it this way, I think life begins at the table. Okay. Uh, I think life began for Jesus with his disciples at the table. I believe life begins for people to really come to know their true values and their identity at the table. I didn't learn to be a miller by going to miller classes. Yeah. I learned to be a miller by sitting at the table, listening to my fathers, my grandparents, my parents wow. talk about who we were yeah. and what we were about. I remember the first time I met Dr. Lynn Hiles. I don't know, Lynn, how long it was. We sat till 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning because something inside of us just went off. And I knew I met a brother. I met a a man of kindred spirit. Same way, Rick, you and I sat for hours that day, the first time we ever really had a chance to meet in person because there's something about what we gather from being together. Mm -hmm. So I just think we're in a night season, but the night season is the indicator that something new is beginning. Yeah, we have to recognize the creative order of God even in the night time we're in. Do you believe? Do you guys believe that? And this is going to be a strong question, but do you believe that we are at the end of an era? In other words, are we approaching, according to Hebrews chapter nine, are we approaching a time of reformation? Are, are we exiting a phase or an era and entering into? A season of reformation. I agree with you, 
Bishop Miller about the table, and it seems like surely the Lord has set a table before us in the presence of our enemies in this hour, right? And communication, I agree with you, is essentially important for us to progress from here. And in that communication, don't you think that Duma actually in Isaiah 21 means silence? And so there's a cry, stop being silent. And I find that the communication about racism, I'm just going to go there. The communication about the pandemic. I think the more we communicate, the more we heal. Yeah, do, do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. So, so in reference to that, Dr. Hiles, what, do, what about that era question as we are communicating at Table Talk tonight? What about that era question? Where are we? Well, you know, it's just been perfect that we haven't sat and talked, me and Tony haven't, but right on the same page. Uh, what I have been sharing in the last two weeks has really been from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, about Reformation. And I literally have written pages of notes that I call a roadmap to Reformation or Restoration. Mm. And there are some powerful patterns there that I think are really something that we could look at too. But, you know, we are really in a season, like you said, where there's a lot of chaos, but chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's also the birthplace of change. And in Genesis chapter one, when the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the great deep, the spirit of God moved, hovered. It was like a chicken sitting on an egg. It fluttered over the face of the water. And in the midst of that darkness, God said, let there be light. And I believe as voices begin to focus, not just on the problem, we've been problem oriented and we're crying the sky is falling rather than being answer oriented and saying, God, what are we, what is the direction? Mm -hmm. But when I begin to look at Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra's name means my helper and Nehemiah's name means the comforter. Mm. And the Lord said to me, this is a picture of the work of the Holy Ghost to rebuild something. And he said to me, we've had a great emphasis in the 80s, especially on a return to an understanding of the Son and the revelation of Jesus. And we needed that. Mm -hmm. And then in the 90s up through now, we've had a great revelation on God is a good, good father. And a lot of songs have been written. But I heard the Lord say to me, we're going to have a fresh emphasis on the power and the working of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is the builder. And what he's after is not just another meeting where we lay all over the floor. And I'm not opposed to that. He but, you know, the reality of it is, is we have sometimes, I think, built churches at the expense of putting the third person of the Godhead in the closet. Mm. Uh, we treat him like the crazy uncle we keep in the basement. We don't want him to show up when we got guests. But I believe people are getting desperate for a move of the Holy Ghost. But what they did was they began to arise and build in Ezra especially. You know, I, it really helped me kind of define my role a little bit because, you know, Ezra was a teacher and a scribe, and he began to really institute synagogues. I want to say this because I think it's real important. Yeah. The synagogue would be equivalent to what is our local churches. The temple was in Jerusalem, and the people couldn't make their pilgrimage there at times. And he was going to rebuild the temple, but he also built synagogues, and it was a return back to the Word of God back to the synagogues, the teaching centers. I, I, I tell you, one of the things that frustrates me as a traveling ministry is that you've got a 40-minute window on Sunday morning to try to say something to people. And that's the only window you've got at all to even say something to them. And the understanding level of most people in the American church is sometimes very low. And, it's, and we've taught our children, like you said, how to play, but we've not taught them how to pray. Mm. And, you know, we can change the world, as Bishop said, from our living rooms. We can literally stop, you know, racism can stop even with what we talk about yeah. in our rooms. 
And you know, one of the one of the, there's a powerful scripture in Ezra chapter four that really resonated with me. It said when the when the when the people begin to arise to build, and the Holy Spirit said this through my pastor, uh, and it was what inspired it for me. Uh, you know, this whole series. She said one Sunday morning from Nehemiah chapter two verse eighteen. She said, "Arise, let us build." Mm. And in the midst of chaos, in the midst of darkness, arise, let us build. Now, that don't mean we build new buildings and maybe God's saying that to you, but I think he's saying, let us build the local church. Let's build relationships. Let's build the family. Let's build a bridge across to races. Let's build something redemptive. Let's get on the wall that's called salvation. Your wall shall be called salvation. Your gates shall be called praise. And let's build something redemptive. And I believe there's there there's a call. And at first, like you said, it seems like a lot of people have not returned yet. But right. when Ezra and Nehemiah came, they came, a remnant came first. And then they found their families on the wall. And uh, they said, the family of so-and-so built this section. The family of so-and-so built that section. And, and uh, my pastor said this on Sunday, one Sunday morning. She said, let's find our families on the wall. In other words, you know, the most significant thing we can do, and I don't want to take up too much time here on you know, you're good because I can get it really flowing on this, but, but you know, one of the things that I think we, we're going to have to do is, is, is realize that we're looking for something grand and glorious to change the world when we can change the world from our living room. Mm. The most, one of the most significant things you can do is get out of bed on Sunday morning, get your kids ready for church and take them to church, right. teach them the God have a return back into the house of God and return back into, I believe, what God is saying in this hour. You know, one of the things that they, they were in Babylonian captivity when Ezra and Nehemiah and even when Habakkuk wrote his book, they were in, in uh, Babylonian captivity because they didn't keep Sabbath. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, that what doesn't mean what day of the week you worship. The work the Sabbath to me speaks of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And there has to be a return to the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we need to return and build something redemptive. And then we're going to have to begin to see some things restored. Ezra built the, uh, Ezra built the temple. He restored the uh, synagogues, which is the local church to me. He began to restore families while Nehemiah built the wall. But I want to say this and then I'll let somebody else talk a little bit because I can talk about this all night. It's good. But in Ezra chapter four, it says this in the message Bible. It says when the people started to build the wall and the breaches were shut up, it said that Sanballat and Tobiah didn't mm -hmm. like the fact that the breaches were shut up. And it says they here's here's how it says it says they even hired propagandists. Wow, right? The hired propagandists to stop the people and to to sap their resolve and to bring discouragement. I'm saying we need to sometimes turn off the news. Come on, and lay it down lay our cell phone down and get before God and see what the Holy Ghost wants to build. And if nothing else, just pray in the Holy Ghost because he'll build you up in your most holy faith. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, there has to be, I, I'm just hearing the Lord say, this is a season of great opportunity. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how much time you want me to take here. Well, you're, but, uh, you're good. Let, let me, let me interject. Say something, Pastor Ray. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Bishop. Um, you know, as, as what, what Lynn is sharing, uh, last fall, the Lord began to speak this word inside of me. And, I, you know, I spend my life primarily with pastors and leaders every week, almost somewhere. And one of the things that the Lord said to me is challenge them over whether or not they wanted to be blessers or builders. Come on. Because they've spent their life being blessers and ended up with a Come on, Bishop. that couldn't stand the storm. 
Wow. So what we have to do is recognize that the real apostolic call to those of us who have apostolic responsibilities to local churches is to challenge those people to once again be builders. Mm. Paul said, I'm a wise master builder. There you go. I may bless you in the process, but I'm going to build something before I leave here. Yeah. And I think that if we come back to that whole aspect of building, and you said it at the beginning in your prologue at the beginning, Bishop Rick, you talked about the fact that the sons of Issachar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been a part of this, this Issachar initiative that's been done with Dr. Lynn Sweet and Dr. Sharona and others. Right. And I was sharing with those guys one day when I was speaking there, that, you know, the sons of Issachar were the astronomers of Israel. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that. They were the astronomers. They, they, they were the ones that understood the patterns of the stars. Mm-hmm. And so basically, David never called for the sons of Issachar while he was battling. Because if all you're going to do is fight spiritual warfare, you don't need wisdom. You just need endurance. Wow. But when he got ready to build the kingdom and establish the kingdom, he made his call for the sons of Issachar. Mm-hmm. Because in order to build something that would last so the Messiah could set in it and rule, he needed those who could read the heavens. Yes. And when we can read the heavens, we will actually become sons of Issachar. Sons of Issachar are not people who read the blogs. The sons of Issachar are people who can read the heavens, who know what the Holy Ghost is saying. And when they understand, the, the, the children of Israel couldn't even celebrate the Passover until the sons of Issachar gave them the date. Right. Because they watched the stars to tell them what the calendar was. What would happen again in our nation if men like us would say, we're not going to take our lead from what's the next greatest church growth formula, mm. but we're going to take our lead from what does the heavens say to us and begin to My build God. that in the earth. I believe we'll once again establish a place for the presence of God like mm. never before. My God, that's powerful. I'm amazed that both of you guys are hidden on this. I started a series last week called As It Is As It Was in the Days of Noah. And in the first part of that, the Lord spoke to me in prayer and said, you know, when God spoke to Noah and said, now build an ark, and he gave him specific material and specific measurements. And there's revelation in both the material and the measurements of that ark. There's the idea of one door. There's the idea of one window. And that window was for ventilation and revelation. And so I started that, but the Lord spoke to me at the end of that dialogue in communication with him and he said build 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 so when you guys are saying that it's resonating I'm, I'm wanting to run around this stage right now because it is confirming to me first of all that I'm hearing from God and I believe as both of you said when the Bible says that Issachar understood the times times means not just occasions but opportunities And I believe that we are on the preface of the greatest opportunity that we've ever seen to build what's never been built before. And so this this excites me. Dr. Hiles, you want to caveat some on that? Absolutely. You know, uh, I'm I'm hearing the same thing from those pictures, and that's arise and build something redemptive. Yes. And everything about that is, you know, is is trying to show us the times that we're living in. And, you know, I, I, there's so many things that I can say about that. But I would just say this, even when this ark, you know, comes to land on a mountain called Ararat, which means the curse is reversed. That's what Ararat means. Wow. I think they took off during the Feast of Passover and they landed in the seventh month, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, but what I want you to hear is that 
two birds flew out of that ark. One was a dirty bird. It flew all the way through the, through the scriptures and landed in the book of Revelation where Babylon's become the hold of every foul script, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Wow. But the dove only flew to the book of Matthew where it found the real ark coming up out of the water in the river Jordan. He was the real ark. And when the dove landed on him, what the Holy Ghost was saying to John is right here's the new world. And he announced the, the kingdom of God. He said, repent, change the way you think for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Noah came out of that ark, he came out with the same mandate God gave to Adam. And that is have dominion, yes. subdue, be fruitful, multiply, replenish. It was the same. God's never changed his mind about plan A. And mm -hmm. so the dominion mandate, and I, I was thinking when I was in uh, uh, Oklahoma City, or Tulsa this week, I'm sorry, Tulsa, I was preaching, you know, talking about, and I, I kind of had looked up a little bit some of these pandemic things that have happened. And what I found clear back into 400 BC was every time there was an epidemic or an outbreak of some kind of a virus, there was a massive move of God. Yeah. Now, what I wanted you to see, though, is a lot of times, and I, this, I might be a little controversial here. A lot of times I think they thought it was an end time revival and it fizzled out because they thought it was simply another revival. And I'm not opposed to revival, but I think what it was bigger than revival that God wanted to renew the dominion mandate. And if you'll watch and see, watch, watch, watch this. But when Charles Parham and William Seymour, that Azusa Street revival was started when a black man and a white man and a woman got together. And when they got together, in Azusa Street, where women couldn't vote, the black man couldn't even be in the same room with them, and a white man got together. It started to look like heaven, and God said, "I think I can put my approval on that thing." Yeah. And so when and so he and, and when he put his spirit on that thing, it began to God began to move, and uh, you know you could come up through clear up to into the 1960s when I got saved, and and a lot of the 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 epidemics that were going on and uh, Vietnam protests and. And you had uh, H1N1 and a lot of these other viruses that begin to come out. And in the midst of that, God began to bring great revival. But, uh, if, but I think what we need to do is focus and say, this, look, this is bigger than revival. And I'm not saying that it's, there's not a move of the Spirit. That's Holy Ghost. But I think what we need to realize is it's not just another meeting. It's a Holy Spirit move of God to transform outside. See, this feast, when Ezra and Nehemiah went to uh, restore the city, they went back at the seventh month during the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm -hmm. Now, let me, this is powerful point here. But the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to go get the bows of goodly trees and bring them together to build a booth. They had to take it to the streets. Yeah. They right. had to move outside the sealed house. That's what happened in March. And what happened was we went outside and we were outside the, and then we, we went under quarantine 40 days and mm -hmm. then we reopened our churches pentecost sunday we're headed towards the feast of tabernacles in the fall but here's what i want you to see these branches of these trees didn't normally grow together and when i was preaching sunday morning i had people from different background racially come stand with me hispanic and, and yeah. african-american and asian and i said these are trees of righteousness, the planting of him, and they're trees that don't normally grow together. But when we start to blend, we create a booth that can hold the glory of God. My we create God. A, a feast of tabernacles. We create, in other words, uh, the white church can't hold this. The black church can't hold it. The Hispanic church can't hold this. It's going to take a church coming together 
uh, of many branches because when you bring the leaves of the trees together, the leaves of the trees are going to heal the nations. And yeah. I, I said from Song of Solomon, she described her beloved. She said, my beloved is white. He's ruddy and his belly is blue sapphire. In other words, he's a man of color. And then this is what she says. She says, my beloved is altogether lovely. And I said, if he's not altogether, he's not lovely at all. But when we begin to put him together, the glory of this latter house my is God. far We're building something redemptive, but yeah. we're not building it out of a Babylonian brick factory that takes the red big brick and cut and paste and does the same thing. We're building it out of lively stones that are revived out of the heaps. And it takes a master builder, like Bishop Miller said, to build this house. Yeah. Anybody can lay brick, but it takes a master builder to lay stone. Strong. Bishop Miller? I just think that uh, as, as, as Lynn was sharing, Acts chapter 3, Peter picks up on this right after the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His message is repent and return. Yeah. And he said there will be seasons of refreshing that will come from the presence of the Lord. Yes. I think we have mistaken seasons of refreshing and called them revival mm -hmm. and even tried to make them reformation. Mm -hmm. But they are seasons that come when God's presence comes near to his people. Yeah. There are seasons of refreshing that come in the presence of the Lord. But he said, then the heavens must retain Jesus until the restoration of all things mm. that was spoken of by the prophets. Mm -hmm. So we can't, the, the, the issue is it's going to move beyond, like Lynn was talking about, every major epidemic or pandemic has been followed up by major expansion of the gospel mm -hmm. worldwide, including the one in the beginning of the 20th century. Out of Azusa came in, in 1917, the last Spanish pandemic that we right. had in America. Yep. had the greatest missionary thrust ever in the history of our country. And more people were born again in the 20th century than in the 19th centuries previously. Wow. In one century, more people came to Christ than in 19 centuries of the gospel. But here's the issue for me. The issue is we have to believe that God is restoring everything he said to us. Yes. And he's restoring his house. Ezra came back to the city that was in rubbish, and he didn't, first of all, put the banking system back in order and the commerce system and the educational system, he first put the temple back in its place. When God got back as being the center of their universe, yep. then everything else could come into its proper order. Wow. But until they got the house in order, they couldn't get anything else in order. And we keep running from fire to fire, from fire to fire, trying to put out fires, when really we need to be building the house. And I, I wanted to jump up while ago when Lynn was talking about Genesis chapter 1, because not only does everything is everything birthed in darkness, it's birthed in water. Yeah. And when you realize that the earth was under the under the face of the deep was under water, but it came up by, by a voice that cried to it. Yeah. Jesus birthed the new covenant in darkness out of water. Obscurity yeah. out of water came. We're birthed into the fullness of God, even out of water. So what happens is John the Baptist did what I think you and I are talking about tonight. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He didn't say I'm doing the crying. He said, I'm giving voice to the cry. Wow. Yeah. And God's looking for some people in the earth today, men and women who are leaders, who I believe have that prophetic edge, who are going to give voice to what the spirit is crying about. There are people crying in the streets, but they don't have a voice that's moving them towards building something. So it becomes destructive. Right. But I believe there are people that are hearing the voice of God and they're going to give voice to what heaven is crying about. And it's going to build the house of God and order 
just like Genesis 1. Everything, that word without form and void is the Hebrew word tohu vabohu. It literally means it was formless, empty, incapable of bearing, unproductive. But in the midst of the wilderness, where did John the Baptist cry? He cried in a wilderness. In the wilderness. He didn't cry in a productive yeah. place. This is the greatest day for us as people of God. Yes, we need to stand up in the wilderness of our nation and give voice to the cry of the Holy Ghost. And when that happens, I believe up out of the water, out of the spirit, the, yep. the water of the word of God and the spirit of God, there's going to come a mighty kingdom that we're going to get to be a part of and celebrate. I believe that with all of my heart. It's incredible. Powerful. And, you know, that's what in Luke chapter 17, that's the question that the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? When will the kingdom of God come? And he said it's not detected by visible signs. At one point he says the kingdom does not come by observation, ocular evidence, or, or it doesn't come like that. He said, but the kingdom of God is already among you, right? Yeah. And then he says it's forcefully advanced. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I believe you are right that there has to be a cry from the soil of this earth, from the people of God, that it's time for us to rise up and build and advance the kingdom in this generation. And if it doesn't come by observation, then it must come by participation. Yeah. So if you're interested, then get involved. And what we have to do in this moment that we're living in is activate and mobilize the people of God with strategies and concepts that are dropping out of heaven in this critical, and I've heard you use this word a lot, Bishop Miller, uh, pivot, pivotal moment. Things are pivoting right now. And if we're not in position, we're going to miss our pivot. And well, I Bishop, hit on that. If, 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 if I can just say, because I think you're driving a nail that needs to be driven. And Lynn picked it up early. Most of church life in North America has become attractional based. Yes. So if all I do is try to attract people because we have a very polished, performed service, mm -hmm. then the kingdom will only be by observation because we come to watch people wow. worship. We come to watch the lights. We come to even now be entertained by preaching. We don't really come to participate in what happens in the midst of the house. And so I believe that we're being challenged that we can't allow the church to continue to just come, take their hour of observation, attraction. How many people go to the place that God's planted them? Mm. Most people go to the place that's convenient for them. Yeah. They don't think about being in a house. To talk to people about being in a church now for 20 years, they look at you like you've lost your mind. Exactly. Now it's whoever's got the latest thing or the greatest thing. I remember the days when my spiritual father looked at me and he said, when God puts you somewhere, that's your planting mm. and that's where you flourish. And here's the key. He said, I don't care if the apostle Paul comes to town, go over there and listen to him when you don't have a responsibility where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Because the place that you've been planted is where you're going to grow. And through that, we can build. Lynn, I believe with all of my heart, we got to have families that are once again come and stand at the wall to build. Yep. They won't just come stand at the wall to watch. Yeah. Or to say, I'm going to get my blessing. I don't care if you get yours or not. Because we have turned the gospel, and you guys pick up on this. We've turned the gospel into such an individualistic message that somehow we believe the Bible was written to a person and not to people. And we are the people of God. Yeah. 
And don't we you are corporate? We are a body corporate. Yes, sir. I am sir. not an arm. I have got to have legs and a torso, and I've got to have a head and eyes and ears. I need all of it. I cannot be Jesus by myself. Dr. Yeah. House. Yeah, and powerful, so, you know, and powerful bishop. When when, Ez, when Ezra came back, the people came as one man. They came together as one man, as a corporate mini-member man. And let me just say this, this is very strong, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I think we've taught people evacuation. We've not taught them occupation. We've prepared people to go to heaven. We haven't prepared them to take over the earth. Come on. And the kingdom coming and the dominion mandate that's on the church. And that's the reason we're in the shape we're in right now is because we've been rocked to sleep with theologies that have prepared us to go to heaven rather than to bring heaven to earth. From the time yeah. I was a little kid, I was always taught, you know, Man, I feel uh, the Holy God's Ghost. primary purpose is to get me from here to there, wherever there is. And I do believe there's a there. I'm not taking anything from that. But, but what Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is in the heavens. And I believe that that kingdom, when Jesus stood before uh, Pilate, he said to them, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. But he said, but henceforth, my kingdom is not of this world. But because it's not of this world does not mean it's not for this world. Mm. And when he said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, he's talking about ocular and being able to see it. But he's also saying that that's a word from Galatians where he's saying the kingdom of God is not going to come through old covenant observances. In other words, he's drawing an analogy saying, listen, the kingdom can't be produced. The way the, the old covenant didn't produce the kingdom. The Holy Ghost has to produce the kingdom. Right. In other words, it, it, it can't come through divers washings. And even when we say things like it's not meat or drink, it's righteousness, peace and joy. And the Holy Ghost, we're thinking about pie and turkey. But he's talking about it doesn't come through, uh, you know, eat meat or drink. In other words, it's not the meat offerings or the drink offerings or the old covenant rituals. Come on. And one of the key things that's going to have to be shifted in the mind of people is the, to have an understanding of the new covenant because the new covenant is the constitution of the kingdom and its mandate is to have dominion and subdue the earth. And when John the Baptist started preaching 2000 years ago, his message was repent. And that don't just mean you need to get saved every week. It means change the way you think for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we read the kingdom in the gospels, we think what most of the American church thinks this is talking about when I get to heaven. Because the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. But when you start to really read it, it's not talking about other world stuff. It's talking about this world stuff mm -hmm. and how to bring change and, and how to bring cultural change and bring the culture of heaven into the earth where the church actually becomes what Nehemiah and Ezra were trying to build, a city set on a hill that can't be hid. They, there's a city being rebuilt, all right, but it's not a place. It is a people. Mm. You know, and it's the new covenant house of God for you. Uh, Hebrews 12 says, for you did not come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness. You didn't come to a God who says stay away. You didn't come to fear and trembling. But that's the God we bring people to every Sunday morning. But then he goes on to say, but you have come to Mount Zion and you've already come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And, you know, I love that because, I mean, that's the new covenant people of God. Yeah. Revelation 21 said, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. But the message Bible says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He made his home in men. And I always say, Slap your neighbor, tell him property values just went up. Because <laughs> when God moves in the neighborhood, he starts a major reformation program. Yeah. But we got to get our focus off of evacuation yeah. and start training people to reign. Lynn, I think we grew up in the same 
same time frame. Me too. Escapism yes. has been the greatest detriment to the local church. Come on, Bishop. And the mission of the kingdom that's ever been propagated on church people. Come on, Bishop. Because we live to leave. We don't, yep. we don't live to occupy. Yep. And Jesus said, occupy till I come. And the word occupy there in Greek means make transactions. Yeah, do business. Be busy. Yeah. Even, even, the, even the passage that you're dealing with, and I'm sure you're going to get there, uh, Bishop, is in the days of Noah. I mean, I was told so often, you know, we, we sang the good old gospel ship, and that ship was going to take us out of here. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that he said uh, who was taken and who was left. And I found out what got taken away was all the evil people. And what got left was the righteous ones. He didn't take Noah and them away. He left them here. They left them here so they could start over and bring the bring forth the purposes of God in the earth. Great, I believe great. with all of my heart, God's not taking the righteous people out of the earth. He's taking wickedness out of the earth as righteous people stand up and be the people of God. Yes. And when that begins to happen, we'll begin to see our world turn. Even the Second Chronicles 7 passage, if my people who the Hebrew says, who are called under my name. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything else in that passage is predicated on the people of God embracing why they're here. They're here to be a representation, an image of God in the earth. And when we fail to be the image of God in the earth, nothing else can happen in the environment. Incredible. Dr. House? Well, I think that it's, you know, when, you know, there's some things that we have to do on purpose. And, and, and those, to me, the, the roadmap that I'm talking about in Ezra and Nehemiah is that you know one of the things that uh, Nehemiah does is he comes first of all uh, to, to to survey the city and the condition it's in and the walls are broken down and the gates are shut and the first thing he does is come to a dragon well, which says to me the first thing we're going to have to do is lose our affixation with the devil because the reality of it is is that the the, the dragon uh, the dragon well was the place where legend has that the head of a dragon was cut off so the first thing we're going to have to tell the people is the devil's defeated Jesus is Lord, and the second thing was. They came to the dung port, which was outhouse row, and we're going to have to learn how to get some of this religious crap out so that we can see some restoration back to the city. Yeah. And I could preach a long thing on that one, but, but the reality of it is Paul called the dung. He said, uh, you know, I was uh, born uh, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth-day stock of Israel. As touching the law, I was blameless, but I count all of that as dung that I might win Christ. We're trying to bring the kingdom with the wrong covenant. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Bishop Miller knows me, and I, you know, I, I cut my teeth on kingdom guys, and I appreciate my roots. I appreciate it, but a lot of them preached that the kingdom was accessed through old covenant righteousness, and the reality of it is, it's not accessed through old covenant righteousness. It's accessed through new covenant righteousness, which is a gift, and it comes through the Holy Ghost. Yeah, and uh, the old covenant, fifty days after they left Egypt, they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. God gave them the law. 50 days after the children of Israel killed the real lamb of God, they're in an upper room. And this time, God don't give them rules on rocks. He gives them the Holy Ghost so that the Holy Ghost is to the new covenant what the law was to the old Come covenant. on. We've never figured out what the Holy Ghost is for, to more than just a hookamashite talking chunks. It's to build and establish the kingdom because the kingdom is not in politics. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost, and that will affect yep. politics. Yes. It will affect politics. Right. But see, I think even if we get, if we study church history, we will see moments when the church had authority and they governed, but they tried to pass laws that would force the kingdom on people. 
Yeah. And the reality of it is we get in all kinds of uh, uh, inquiries and, and all kinds of stuff like that, and it ended up being a bad deal. But if laws being passed could produce the kingdom, Moses had the best one there was. But if we could get the Holy Ghost in the forefront, where yeah. it starts to hover and move over this darkness. Yeah. And it, sometimes when the Holy Ghost moves, Rick, yeah. it don't feel like the ghost bump. Right. It might look like an upheaval. It might look like uh, a groan of creation. When the Holy Spirit moves, it might look like there's chaos and darkness. But when God speaks light, the end result is the earth starts to bring forth. And the moment we start to declare some answers and some truth and some reality, it begins to cause the earth to bring, light starts to break forth out of the earth. And the end result is a man is in his image with dominion, how's a bird can fly and as deep as a fish can swim. And I believe we've got to not miss this moment and seize it. Prophesy, it's not man. just another meeting. It's not just a, another spiritual buzz we get and then we go home and nothing changed. But the Holy Spirit starts to transform our lives, our homes, our ministries, our churches, our government as the Spirit of God has set down again, and every generation has an opportunity. Yeah. And it normally takes place right after a pandemic. Yeah. Sure. And I believe we're standing in a season when this not, did not accidentally happen at the Feast of Passover, and it, we didn't accidentally go back to church That's on right. Pentecost Sunday, and we're coming into the fall, and the Feast of Tabernacles is coming, and we have an opportunity, rather than divide, yes. to arise and build. Yes. And to speak some words of instruction and tell people, listen, you, you, if you don't tell people what we're here for, if, in other words, if you think this thing's going to fall apart in the next couple of years, you are not going to polish the brass on a sinking ship. Yeah. And that's the reason we're in the condition we've been yeah. in is we let things go, getting people ready to go to heaven. Yeah. Did and the reality of it is that's not the goal. It's to bring the kingdom into the earth and that, that we are the windows and the doors and the gates of heaven that God wants to open and pour out into the earth through. Bishop Miller, Can I know I, you're about to say something. Let me, let me just press the pause. I am blown away by you guys' insight, the revelation you're bringing, and I just want to tell the people, stay with us. We usually stop about right now. I think we need to go for a little bit longer here because I'm telling you, you guys are bringing it. Bishop, I know you were about to interject right there. Go, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask uh, you, Bishop, and, and, and Lynn, I know that part of, of, of Table Talk is that we not only get some prophetic revelation and insight, Yeah. how do we walk that out? So I, I'm, I'm a strong local church guy. Yes, sir. And so what does a local pastor, obviously he's got to change his mindset. Mm -hmm. But what can we say to them tonight that I believe would be of value to help them build? Mm -hmm. Because the only tools that many of them have been given are the things that they pick up from whatever else that other people tell them, go do this, go do that. What kind of things do we hear the Holy Spirit saying as far as helping to build? I'll just throw one out and we can go from there. I think that in the earth at all times, discipleship is taking place. Yes. If the church is not doing it, the world will. Mm -hmm. And I think the world has been discipling a generation that the church quit discipling, started entertaining. Mm. And because of it, we're seeing the outcome of their discipleship in the streets. Mm -hmm. Most of the discipleship going on in our earth today is being done in major universities across America. So the best of a generation are not standing at a wall building back the wall of God, the gates of praise and the walls of salvation. 
they're out building a kingdom that they believe will give them the security or the advancement or the freedom from guilt yeah. that they have been living with. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you guys are hearing? I'm, 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 I'm a listener and I'll be a contributor. I, I, I'm a firm believer that what God's not looking for is larger churches. I believe he's looking for different churches. Mm. You know, if I, I could... believe that the next movement will not be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church. Yeah. Somewhere the people of God have got to move and be activated as the sun. The earth is not groaning for another religious experience. No. The earth is groaning for the manifestation of, of the, the sons, sons of, of God, God to stand up. Yeah. And the sons of God, if Galatians chapter 4, as long as they remain immature, we will always be under governors and tutors until the time appointed up by the Father. There has to come a day that the earth can look for a we are son of God. Uh, our, uh, our friend Kelly Varner wrote a book, Every 2,000 Years God Has a Son. Right? Wow. He constantly comes along, and he had one with Moses 2,000 years in the Old Testament. 2,000 years later, he had Jesus. And I believe that we're in the midst of the birthing of this time. It's not a son that walks on two legs. It's a corporate man who's going to stand up in the earth. And when that corporate man stands up, just like Egypt was broken and just like the powers of the old covenant and darkness were broken at the cross, I believe we're going to see the release of the Holy Ghost in a new corporate son that's about to stand up and release the heart of the Father. And the truth of the matter is, Lynn shared it a little bit while ago, we, we have got a, we've got a, 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 a church philosophy in the Western world that has put so much emphasis on Jesus. Hold on to your seat now, because I'm really going to be controversial. And I'm not taking away from Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Lord of all. Right. But Jesus himself said, the reason I came was to reveal the Father. Mm. The reason the Holy Spirit has come is to make him real to you. I want to suggest to you that we want we want only to talk about Jesus because we only want brothers. We don't want fathers. Wow. And as long as we can be brothers, I don't have to submit. I don't have to grow. Wow. I don't have to enlarge myself. I can stay immature and be a part of the boys club. But if daddy ever shows up, when daddy shows up, he's got purpose about what he's trying to bring. When Ezra came to restore the temple, Ezra was so moved with the brokenness of the people. The Bible says he plucked his own beard That's right. and tore his own clothes. But when Nehemiah shows up, he said, I'm not going to take this stuff like this. Right. He didn't tear his beard and rip his clothes. He tore their beards and ripped their clothes. Mm-hmm. So here's the picture. The picture is there has to first be a breaking in the preachers. And when there's a breaking in the priesthood, there can then become a breaking in the rest of the people wow. that I believe will usher in the fullness of all that God intended. And I that's why Paul wrote to church. The heart of God, and God is trying to restore something to us. I agree. And one of those things I do believe is spiritual fathers. Paul wrote mm-hmm. to the church at Corinth. We all know this. said, you got 10,000 instructors. You don't have many spiritual fathers. And he said, I warn you. That was a warning. And so when Elijah ascends, Elisha doesn't say my mentor or my teacher. He says, my father, my father. And mantles are falling right now. The key to Issachar is that they not only understood the times, but they dwelled in tents. That's what Moses said, you will dwell in tents. Tents are transitory. Anything transitory understands transitions. This is a season of transition. And when transitions happen, the modulation brings intensity. And when Elijah is caught up, he's not caught up in a smooth season. He's caught up in a whirlwind. And in the whirlwind, in that turbulent atmosphere, a mantle fell. 
in this turbulent atmosphere that we're in right now, we're watching great leaders die. And mantles are falling. Rabbi uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, John Lewis, uh, C.T. Vivian, Morris Cirillo. These mantles are falling in this moment. And my concern is this generation is so... Uh, occupied by what's going on in the natural. They're missing what's happening in the supernatural. And we must be a transitory generation that says we are transitioning now from sons to fathers. The kingdom of God is built on series, sequences, and succession. It's about who's coming after us. So Bishop Miller, I fully agree Um, Dr. Howes, I know you have something to say about that. And then after your statement, I've got one closing question for you guys, and and then we'll let it rest. But, man, this is powerful. I feel the Holy Ghost in this church right now. Dr. Howes? Well, I think that what Bishop said is exactly right. It's simple strategies, fathers. One of the biggest needs right now in this country is fathers, spiritual fathers and natural fathers. And all, and, and, but, but the thing I, have, I want to say about that is, though, it cannot be this, what I call a rent-a-dad program. Okay. A pyramid scream, to try, you know, to try to get some sons that you ain't poured any life into. Mm. But, you know, the, the effective way to change the world can come from real fathers. My father never stood on big platforms, but he raised a family of sons. And he raised more men to the ministry than a lot of guys that called himself apostles because he had a legacy that he gave and he poured into us more than a message. He poured into us integrity. My dad was the real deal. If I hadn't, if I had to, if I did not see that, I don't know if I would have been able to navigate the waters of success because I think sometimes your biggest test is not in your failure, it's in your success. Mm. And the reality of it is, is that when you start to pour into uh, real sons and then you gotta find people that wanna be fathered because once again, it comes back to Ezra and Nehemiah, find your family on the wall. Yeah. Because it says that the family of so-and-so built this section of the wall. And once again, I think that here's some simple strategies is we're not building a Babylonian brick factory. We're gonna take stones that out of the heaps of rubbish, people that are disenfranchised, the single mother, the person who's been hurt, on and on it goes. And we're going to find out that stones look different. And we've tried to cut and paste people. Well, you're a prophet, you're an apostle, you're a song leader, but sometimes we need to look and say, wait a minute, there's some dreams in you that you've got a gift for entertainment. You've got a gift for music. You've got a gift mm-hmm. for politics. You've got a gift for, you know, uh, 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 medicine. What if God could give one of our kids, my daughter-in-law is a medical doctor. What if God could give her the cure for cancer? Because we give them back their dream and let the church become the place that facilitates that because the wow. central purpose is still the kingdom. You know, when, when he said to them, he warned the children of Israel when they got into the land of promise, he said, now, once you've lived in houses you did not build and you've eaten from vineyards you did not plant, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God who gave it to you. And some of this I've seen over the years as I've taught people and helped them progress and launch them into their dreams is sometimes then it steals their heart. The first thing you know, they forgot the purpose, yep. the focus of what they're in that for, and they left the local church. And the first thing you know, you know, they, 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 they're wondering. But I believe as we bring people back, and it's like Haggai, who was working with uh, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, Zechariah. We need prophets to encourage the people. He said, return, is what Haggai said, return. In other words, return to me. In other words, I believe there's a returning in this season. 
yeah. of people that are coming back. And I, I understand why some of them left. I mean, they're disenfranchised with a religious system that stole their dreams. It stole their future because all it told them is this, all, all the only gospel they heard was a gospel that'll get you to heaven after you spent 70 or 80 years in misery. And then you get to go there. But the reality of it is this is supposed to bring you the abundant life right here right now and the dreams that are in people are probably god dream and we need to facilitate as fathers and leaders how to plug them in the right place and and be wise master builders anybody can lay brick but it takes a wise master builder to find out where the stones fit powerful so we'll, we'll conclude on this thought bishop miller i appreciate you bringing up that point about application this is the revelation but what is the application how do we how do we walk all this out you know at the beginning of this pandemic, I preached this message and talked about Jesus, when he was looking at the things he was about to suffer, brought his disciples aside and began to teach them things about the kingdom. Now the word disciples, disciple there means not just student or pupil, but it means learners. So you can have a classroom full of students, but that doesn't mean they're all learning. And I think what is going to happen is we're coming into a defining moment of distinction where we as leaders and fathers are gonna be, it's gonna be easy for us to recognize people who are learning and not just in the classroom. And God spoke to me and said, learners in this season are leaders in the next season. So it's important for us to, to, to note who is learning. Because if you watch right now, there's a real arrogance about some people concerning what's going on like they know what's happening they're the know-it-alls well that tells me they're not learning at all so if you can't learn you can't be pliable if you can't be pliable you'll never be reliable and so that in my opinion that's where we are so at looking looking at that and what's next um i'm going to ask you guys to jump in the deep water for a moment not that we haven't already been there but let's, let's talk about eschatology just for a minute. You, we both, well, all of us addressed the, and Bishop Miller, you said it best, the theology of escapism. Um, that's a worrisome theology to me because it's, in my opinion, irresponsible. It takes the responsibility off the people. Um, and it just says, you know, any moment we're going to be out of here anyway, so why are we occupying? Why are we doing the things we're doing? Where, talk, to, talk to me about the difference in the end of the age and the end of the world and the end of time, just for a moment. Are we there? Because a lot of people think this is the tribulation. It's fixing to all be over. Well, I think there's, uh, I'll, I'll jump in and Lynn, Lynn, I, Lynn actually just did a phenomenal thing on the book of Revelation uh, during the pandemic. It was great. And um, I'll, I'll, I don't know, we'd take another hour, I guess, if we go too far. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will say this, that we have to discern the difference between last days and last things. Okay. The Bible talks about two separate things. And the Bible interprets itself. Peter himself, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, stood up and said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel that in the last days. So when somebody asks, when did the last days begin? Well, according to Peter, it began at Pentecost. It was there. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So it started right there. Mm -hmm. uh, so is there a last things? Is there a culmination of all things? I believe there is. I do believe in a physical return of Jesus. I believe that's going to happen. But I believe that we have confused many of the promises and many of the statements 
about last days and called it last things. I believe the last days was the ending of the old covenant and the establishment of the new. Okay. I believe much of Matthew 24 was Jesus prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem at 70 AD. And he was preparing his disciples for that. You know, the call, uh, Bishop, as you were sharing a while ago, the call of Jesus to his disciples was first and foremost to be with him. And then by being with him, he was able to teach them. Mm. You can't teach somebody who's not with you. Come on you here. You can't somebody from a platform in 35 or 40 minutes on Sunday. It's life upon life application. When you walk down the road, Jesus would ask his disciples, what were you guys arguing about yet today on the road? And they'd say, well, we're arguing over who could be the greatest. Well, you know, he, he taught them in those moments. And it was interesting. He didn't condemn them for wanting to be great. He just told them how to. He told him, he said, if you want to be great, then here's how you be great. Mm -hmm. This is what makes you great. So I think what we have to recognize is that in, in the eschatological things of the earth, I, I made this statement Sunday morning to our church. I hear people saying these are the worst days in history. And I go, your history doesn't go very far. If you That's believe right. that. That's right. I'm a student. I, I, it's, the way, it's the way my brain works. It's how I'm wired. And if you don't understand the third, fourth, fifth century, if you don't understand the, the beginning days, listen, the gospel has survived every kind of false doctrine you can imagine. Yes. It's survived the dark ages. It survived the Roman empire. It has survived Nazism, fascism. It survived communism. And it will still be here 20 years from now when this ism is over, whatever that this ism is in it, it continually to emerge out of the midst of it. I think our, our role as the people of God is to recognize we are in the new covenant where everything we need is provided. We wow. have everything for the moment we've been called to. We have no deficiencies when it comes to having resource in Christ. Uh, I'll take 30 seconds to say this. I grew up in a church. I knew what it meant to be in church. I knew what it meant to be in trouble. I knew what it meant to be in sin. But for 20 years, that was not till I was in college that somebody ever taught me what it meant to be in Christ. My and goodness. everything about geography and everything about real estate is location, location, location. And if you never locate yourself, you never know what's available. The whole Bible is about two men. It's a very simple book. It's about Adam and it's about Christ. You're in one by your natural birth. You're in the other one by your spiritual birth. Wow. You get a nature from the one you're born into and you get the nature of the one you're reborn into. And there's nothing worse than God giving you a new house and we keep finding you at your old address. Mm. There's nothing worse than you calling yourself in Christ and acting like Adam. Wow. Because if you don't change, the, Lynn talked about this, two men, two trees, two mountains, there's two everything. That's the, that's the whole message of the gospel. You're either in light or you're in darkness. You're in the, you're at Zion or you're at Sinai. You're in one place or the other. I right. think it's time for us to call people into that place in Christ and your 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 ship of Zion, your ark of safety, is Him. Yeah. And if we're in Him, it doesn't matter what the world pours out or what comes against the earth. We will always be because in Him we are more than conquerors. So I believe there's a difference between last days and last things. Go ahead, Lynn. You can take the next hour. <laughs> oh, Lord.
Well, it would it would take longer than that. Now, let me say just real quick though that I did do a webinar that, that you talked about. Uh, my webinar is on YouTube. I did it on uh, Facebook. Had ten thousand views, and there's four videos. I also have one hundred and thirty four videos on YouTube that I did on national television on the Book of Revelation. But I want to just say a few few remarks. If just consider the possibility for those of you who are watching that the last days that the scriptures talk about are the last days of the old covenant. When you read scriptures that say last days, just consider when you're reading the context, like Hebrews 1, God who hath in sundry times, times past, spoke to us in through and by the prophets, hath, past tense, in these last days spoken to us by the Son. He did that in the first century. Bishop already quoted it, uh, Acts, Peter stands up. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. John the apostle said, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. That was before Osama, Obama, Chelsea's mama, or the last Trump. And uh, we got a lot of people worried about stuff right now that's not, it's not, it's not in your future, it is in your past. And I'll say this as well, because I think it might help somebody. Because uh, Daniel prophesied concerning the 70 weeks of years or 490 years. He prophesied that during Babylonian captivity while they were in Babylon before Ezra and Nehemiah began to rebuild. And he says, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the prince, will be 483 years. The commandment to restore and build Jerusalem went forth in Ezra chapter 7 in 457 B.C. And when Jesus steps on the stage and says, go bring me the book of Isaiah, it's exactly 483 years from the, that commandment because the new temple was him. Wow. And the new covenant was about to come on the scene. The temple they were building was only a picture of the real temple. Jesus was the real temple. And now we're a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus preaches the year of Jubilee which is a multiple of Sabbaths. And I said, God, why did you determine 490 years upon your people? He said, because a man must forgive until 70 times seven. So he was giving them every opportunity to repent, come into the new covenant. But Jesus steps in, in 480, uh, 483 years after Ezra chapter seven gives that command. And in the middle of the last seven year period that most prophecy preachers teach us is in the future. But in the la middle of that last seven year period, Messiah is cut off, but not for himself. And he does it to make an end of sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and to anoint the most holy place. He already did that. If he didn't do that, we are still in our sin. The other three and a half years of the scope of that prophecy take place immediately after Jesus is crucified. And he tells them, go first to Judea and Jerusalem, and then to the uttermost part of the earth because it hasn't been, the Gentiles have not yet been included yet because that's three and a half years left of the scope of that prophecy. Most prophecy teachers prophesy or preach their seven year tribulation based on Daniel 70 weeks, but Daniel 70 weeks is not in your future. It is in your past. Wow. The great tribulation is not in your future. It is in your past. And he prophesied that. And he told them in Matthew 24, they said, when will these things be? He said, this generation standing right here will not taste death until they've seen these things fulfilled. And everybody says, well, no, that means a race of people. But if that's the case, then you've got to take the same word he used in the chapter before that in Matthew 23, when he said uh, that you've killed the prophets, stoned them to send you. And all of these woes will come on this generation. 
not 2020, that generation, those catastrophes. What's thrown us off, Rick, is the word world in King James. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? The word world there is the Greek word age. Come on. And it's not talking about the cosmos or a global situation. It's talking about the end of an age. And the age it was the end of is the old covenant age and the birthing of the new covenant age. That's why we're here in 2020 still have to fight about which covenant we're under. And we keep on preaching the wrong covenant and talking about, well, we living in the last days. What if we're, what just consider the possibility that we may not be living in the last days and we might be on the very threshold of a new day. And Paul the apostle wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, have come. It was the back end. I look at like a circle and I would say this is the old covenant age and then this is the new covenant age and it overlaps for about 40 years. And I, and, and I would say to you that the ends of the ages was the back end of the old covenant age and the, the beginning of the new covenant age. And since we're at the end and, and much of what was prophesied about the last days was about the last days of the old covenant and the passing away of old Jerusalem, the birthing of new Jerusalem, the passing away of an old temple and the birthing of a new temple, the passing away of an old covenant and the birthing of a new covenant. And all those sorrows were the beginnings of birth pains of the kingdom coming on the scene because Daniel said the kingdom would come during the days of the final 10 kings and the final 10 kings was the Roman empire. And Jesus shows up on the scene in the middle of the Roman empire. And so what I say to people is that they, they say to me, well, you know, it looks like these things are there. I said, well, first of all, he said, let him that's in Judea flee to the mountains. You don't live in Judea. You got to realize audience relevance, a text out of context is just a con. And I believe we need to lose wow. our last day mentality and get a new day mentality. If you want to know what I think is going to happen, I think what Bishop Miller just said. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole thing was infected. You say, what do you think is going to happen? I think we win. I think somebody's going to hear this message somewhere and say, we were born for such a time as this, and we are the salt and light in the earth, and it's time to bring about a change and see God birth something in the earth that's going to turn the culture around and turn the world upside down. And I believe that that's where we're at, is we're going to see of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no, behold, your king comes to you, he said to them in the first century, not on a war horse. Right. but riding on a coat, the fold of an ass. And I could talk about eschatology all night, but that, that's basically it in a nutshell. But you know, uh, uh, Bishop, just to add on to the whole Revelation context, how many people do we know have quoted Revelation 12? We overcome by the blood of the lamb the, and the word of our testimony. We use that as if it's ours today. Mm -hmm. But every person that teaches eschatology from an escapism mentality says everything from chapter four on has never happened. Wow. So if everything from chapter four on has never happened, if there's never been seals and trumpets, if the, if none of that's ever happened, then you can't claim we overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That's true. We're still waiting to get to that day. I believe that is all in picturesque ways. It's all written to us in ways that were conducive to the times. And we are the people of God in the earth. And we've got to start acting like that. We're not, we're not here just passing through, waiting till we can get to the place of our real promise. Our real promise is here right now. 
We are the people of God. Yeah. This could, theology. Can I, say, can I say one more thing, yeah, Rick? Absolutely. I, I think this would be so important. I really hate to leave it out, but you know, Revelation said, "Here's the mind that hath wisdom." He said, "There are five kings who have fallen. The one is, and the other's not yet come. And when he can, comes, he will continue a short space, and even he is the beast." There were five kings in the Julian line of Caesars up until Nero Caesar comes on the scene. He's the sixth. Five have fallen. Nero was on power. Uh, Nero's name has a numerical value of 666. He set a statue of himself up at Agora. He made the people worship the statue in the image of his beast and burn incense. He wore clothes like a beast and they called him a beast. He was a tyrant and they burnt incense to a, his image and then they would take the in, they would take the ashes of the incense, put a mark on their hand or their forehead and then give them a writing of a papyrus or a libellus that without it they couldn't buy or sell in the marketplace. The mark of the beast is not this vaccine. It happened in the first century. It's not coming. It's already been. And I believe there's a lot of stuff that you could say about that wow. as well. But again, I think you can reduce it to, to yeah. two men, the earth and the, the, the beast that's really that we're dealing with now is the old man, Adam. So, you know, yeah, the mark, and the real mark of the beast shows up in the carnal mind. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I have a book called Beauty and the Beast that deals with it in death. death. <laughs> you guys, you guys have taken you have shaken people's theology to the core tonight, and I'm loving it. And here's why. Because everything you've said for the last 20, 25 minutes is very comforting to me. It takes the fear out of it all. Yeah. Don't, don't you agree? It brings yeah. a sense of everything's going to be all right. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're not liable to miss that moment of being caught up. You know, it's, yeah. it's like God's got us, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, guys, I can't thank you enough. And I, I know both of you, are, your minds are going 90,000 miles an hour. I can see it because you want, you want to keep going. I want to have you guys back maybe in a month or so, and, and let's continue because you opened a door tonight <laughs> that is absolutely uh, incredible. So I love you both. Th love you. you got a last word, guys? One more last comment you want to make i just want to say to uh both you and to lynn i'm honored to uh to walk together with you and to journey with you and i'm glad that god allowed us to be alive at the same time on the earth and to see what god's about to do bishop thank don't you, you don't you lynn, think thank you so much too for your life man you're an incredible blessing i love you bud thank you don't thank don't you, you think that god trusted us with this time i oh, think so yeah he this trusted us that's what i keep telling people god what stop complaining God trusted us with this moment. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Hiles? Well, first of all, I'll say this before Lynn says anything. I sent a message to Lynn. He was preaching in Tulsa this weekend. I sent a message to him. I said, now you tell, I said, go tell Dr. Hiles, make sure that he quits preaching and tells the truth. <laughs> He's a great truth teller. He yeah. is a great truth teller. That's awesome. Dr. Lynn? Well, I'm honored just to be on here with both of you guys because I do respect both of you and, uh, you know, I, I'm just thankful that God's beginning to connect us with, I believe, people that have strategies yeah. and they have, uh, you know, I, I think there's Ezra's, there's Nehemiah's. I, I, I told Bishop Miller back some time ago, uh, I've, run, I've seen a lot of people have a great message and no strategy. And then I've seen people have strategy and no message. But yeah. when they come together, it's a powerful thing. And the end result is simply this. We do win. Yes, the fight we do. is fixed. Yeah. The fight's fixed. Yeah. And we do win. And uh, that's the good news that people need to hear of the increase of this government and peace. There will be no end. We have some very real problems that are facing us. I'm yeah. not 
suggesting we put our head in the sand and ignore it. I'm suggesting we arise and build and wake up the church to its purpose and destiny, or we're going to miss it in the next generation. We'll have to reface what we're dealing wow. with. Wow, so strong. What a great way to end it. And I'll just say this. Nehemiah's contribution to Ezra was very strategic, very powerful, and they made great companions. And when he looked at the debris, he said these words, and you both have reiterated it over and over tonight, let us rise up and build. So I yes. say to you guys, let us rise up and build together. Again, love you, success to you, success to the kingdom of God.